Hello, and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss privacy and security engineering related topics. I'm your host, Sean Faulkner, and today I'm joined by Sanjeev Sharma, Product Management Lead at Skyflow, and we'll be discussing data localization requirements for payments in India. Sanjeev, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. So just to start things off, when we, we kick things off with an introduction, Sanjeev, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, my name is Sanjeev and I'm part of, as you said, product management team in Skyflow. I am leading the fintech vertical and uh, my experience in fintech or payment started in 2014 when I joined Visa. And since then, I am working in fintech and payment space. Awesome. And then how did you end up jo- actually joining Skyflow? What put Skyflow on your radar? Uh, the reason I joined Skyflow was I believe in the problem Skyflow is solving. When after Visa, I joined Facebook or Meta, and there I was encountering this, the problems which Skyflow is solving. And I, when I heard about Skyflow, I realized I wish I knew this about Skyflow. I could have used them, and I re- really believe that Skyflow is solving the right problems. And I. And I'm excited to be part of solving this problem because I had to solve this myself or our team has to solve um, in Facebook, but I'm not sure every company has those resources to build it themselves. And what led you to actually working in, uh, you know, FinTech space for for so long? Was it just something that you were interested in or did you kind of just uh, end up, you know, falling into it for whatever reason? That's a very good question. I was actually in semiconductor space prior to 2014. I was part of, uh, I worked at Altera.com, which are, primarily semiconductor companies. And I was leading a chipset um, as a product manager in Broadcom, which included NFC as, as a component. So my knowledge of NFC led me to Visa because Visa was uh, looking for somebody who can come in and represent and understand, represent Visa in NFC forum and also understands the bits and bytes of, of the protocol. So this is where I was introduced in the payment world. And since then, I'm loving it. It's a pretty challenging space. Uh, There's a lot of legacy information you have to learn, but there's a lot more innovation happening in this space. And it touches everybody's life day to day. So it, uh, when you see your work is, is being used by real users on a day-to-day basis, for example, whenever you use, I worked on a product called Visa Token Service, which is powering uh, one of the engine behind Apple Pays and Google Pays of the world. And you see when any, anybody types his phone or her phone on a point of sale machine, I feel good about it that I was part of this whole flow and, and this technology. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think anybody who's, you know, whether you're on the engineering or product side or whatever you're doing in tech, it's always, it feels good to actually do something that like real users are using. And then it's interesting with fintech, especially if you're on sort of the payment side, like the the volume of transactions, like you have a... Uh, a real opportunity to uh, like have a lot of touch points essentially with people's lives, even though they might not know that it's your work that they're 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 leveraging, or even see all the things that are happening behind the scenes. But it could be like billions or trillions of transactions that are sort of flowing through something that you were part of. Yeah, and I feel pretty good and proud when people say, "I don't, I cannot, I, I don't want to use anything else but Apple Pay or Google Pay. It's so easy, so convenient, so secure." So that makes me feel proud that I was part of the whole journey. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, well. Why don't we sort of start to transition into our topic at hand, which is data localization and payment regulations in India. So can you give a bit of background about the history of data localization and payment regulations in India? In April 2018, RBI, Reserve Bank of India, issued a circular 
which required that all the payment data needs to be stored in India. Payment data can leave India, Indian uh, soil for, for the maximum duration of 24 hours of processing, but the storage has to be in India. And that was the start of the data localization requirement um, in India. Since then, there's a lot more circulars have come out, but that was the start. So in terms of like payment data, what does that consist of? Is that like the, the, the credit cards? Is it the transactionals? Is it all those types of things? It's an excellent question. And this is where um, when it started, it was the regulation was not very clear, like what it is. It was not a list. But since then, a lot more uh, circulars have been issued, which have clarified this a bit, but still not very crystal clear. Again, this is my opinion. I'm not a legal uh, or a lawyer um, who can back it up with some legal arguments that this is what regulation is saying. But this is based on my experience and what I have gone through. Uh, this what is payment data is still um, there's a room for interpretation, but uh, but generally it covers the information about the pay, uh, the payment transactions like card information, bank account number, or even amount who and uh, currency merchant information, yeah, user information, and what else? Mm, like, to an extent, there are some certain things which are not very clear. Is MCC, the merchant code, is payment data or not? So there are, this is where things become a bit gray, but it generally covers the payment instrument and the, pay, and the transactions and details of the transactions. And then you also mentioned that you're allowed to take some of that, you can basically take the data out of India for processing for up to 24 hours. So essentially, would I be able to take some transactional information and have it live outside of my data storage in India to perform some sort of analytical operation on it, as long as I delete that information at the end of 24 hours? Is that the kind of the idea behind that? Yes. So that is a spirit of law, but it is easier said than done because as soon as you take the data out you have to be very careful that data doesn't get logged anywhere doesn't get back backed anywhere but generally when people or companies or systems take the data they're using apis to move the data in and out of india the data sometimes can get logged on the way by some system logs or some application logs and then then that may end up in backups and backups can lead and the backup data generally gets mixed up with the other application data and it becomes very, very challenging to clean those up and then prove it to the government that there is no payment data out sitting outside India. Yeah, so you're taking on a fair amount of risk each time that you, you essentially need to move that data. Uh, also, like, you know, there's like technical complexity involved with that because you're moving a bunch of data, you're performing analysis on it, and then you need to, you know, do everything that, you, uh, you can to essentially make sure that it's deleted. So it, it, it sounds like it gets pretty complicated pretty fast. Yeah, for example, if, let's say if you have somebody who's analyzing the data and the data is on the screen on, on a web browser, let's say, and that person goes home end of the day of, but forgot to close the windows, which means technically data is sitting somewhere in the memory on the computer. What do you do? Yeah, so <laughs> yeah exactly. Like that. Simple, simple things can become pretty complex. Yeah, and then you need to like auto log that person's you know machine out or something like that, or you know uh, uh, somehow destroy the the uh, the session in the browser. So where did what was sort of the the trigger for creating regulations like this? Is is this in response to um, digital transformation that's happening in India or some other type of event that is happening that uh, essentially the government wanted to kind of step in and, and put some regulations around this? 
again, this is my opinion and theory. It is done in the right spirit. A lot of people, even I was in the same camp. When the regulation came out, we thought it's a hurdle. But if you look at it from the point of view of government or India, it is the right thing to do. The main, one of the main driver is the protecting its citizens. And uh, every government has a right and uh, responsibility to protect their citizens, making sure their data is in safeguard. And the other drivers behind this regulations is uh, enfor- like uh, law, and- law enforcement. Because if the data is outside, if something is going on, the law enforcement agencies have to go through a lot of hoops to get access to the data if the data is not stored in India and not accessible to them. It, it goes through a lot of governmental approvals. It, de- it creates delays. It hinders their investigation. And a uh, little bit of uh, creating opportunities for innovations. Um, again, there is no direct correlation. It doesn't mean that it's, they're trying to create jobs for India. Uh, I don't think so. Just storing the data in India will create like huge number of jobs. It will create some, but not enough to make um, decisions like that. But it does create opportunities for India uh, if the data is there. Like it's easier and easier to enforce, easier to build innovations and tools around that data. That, I think that those were the probably few uh, key drivers, in my opinion. And then who actually comes up with these regulations? So regulation came out of Reserve Bank of India, the Central Bank of India. Uh, the enforcement or the or the responsibility making sure um, the players or the entities which are participating in different payment system depends on uh, on the area. Like for example, if anybody wants to be part of the UPI ecosystem, then NPCI um, is responsible making sure that those uh, all these entities are following the law. So like, for example, NPCI requires an audit from a third party before you can launch. And then there's an annual audit making sure that uh, everybody is compliant with those laws. And then in what ways do these regulations differ from other standards when it comes to you know data localization requirements or you know payment requirements that people might be familiar with in other parts of the world? I think they're very similar. And uh, as we speak, more and more countries are coming up with such requirements. Based on my knowledge, uh, over 50, 60 countries have some kind of uh, data localization requirement at some level. But there are a few obviously come to your, comes to my mind, like China, India, Turkey, and where the, the requirements are pretty well-defined and strict. But more, more countries are joining the bandwagon. At high level, they're very similar. Everybody wants to protect, protect the data of their citizens. They want to make sure data remains in India and no other foreign entity has a, like using this data and trying to monetize or take benefit of the data of, um, of their citizens. Yeah, so you described some of the motivation for the government to, or, uh, or the regulating bodies to kind of step in and create these types of regulations. But is there also something that's happening on the consumer side in India? Like are consumers, in your opinion anyway, becoming more aware of their rights, you know, so their personal rights of, uh, of um, their, you know, privacy and the data that companies are collecting that is also somewhat creating some additional pressure for companies to actually 
do a better job from data privacy or, or uh, you know, prioritize some of this work? I'm not sure consumers, a lot of consumers have this awareness that okay, there is a requirement where their data has to stay in India. All they see is there are tools available to them now to transact um, digitally. And they are, as you know, digital number of digital transactions are growing up in India in a at a very high rate, high pace. And that innovation is mainly due to the access of access of internet, um, access to mobile devices in India, and um, all these different apps coming out and helping the country uh, or the countrymen or citizens of India um, to transact digitally. Uh, so I think that that is what consumers are seeing, but I'm not sure they are aware and how much they care whether data is stored in India or not. But there are other agencies like governmental agencies or some other uh, non-profit organization who cares and then they try to make uh, people aware of it. And some people I know are aware of it, but most of the people I personally know, are they, they say it's good but I don't think they care as, as much because they're not aware of this, of uh, the repercussion because this is not some, it's, it's not an easy topic. From their perspective, let's say, for example, they are using Google Pay in India. Google Pay is a US company, so they are not even aware that Google Pay is storing the data in India. For their, for, for their perspective, they are using a tool or a wrap coming from Google, which is not an Indian company, and they're okay with it. What about the businesses themselves? Are they... Oh, you know, keenly aware that they need to be storing, you know, payment data in India. They are. Uh, I would say most of the big merchants will be are aware of it, and that is why every big merchant, especially international merchants, they work with a lo lot more Indian local players to run their payment business or the payment systems. And this is where I feel like a lot of knee. Um, Jerk reaction happened. A lot of merchants went ahead and come up with very short-term solution, which is creating problems to them or which will create problem for them in the long run. Like, for example, the obvious knee-jerk reaction was, let's put up a system in India, a mirror system. Um, it was a big task. A lot of companies had to go through a lot of planning and, and create a parallel or mirror system in India, but it's difficult to maintain. They are realizing that the maintaining the system is even harder than put coming up with a new uh, parallel system in India. And the other knee-jerk reaction was, let me just store all the payment data and let me just work with the local PSP to do all the payment uh, flows. This was a good short-term solution, but the problem with that is it, it, led, it leads into vendor lock. Now those merchants are stuck with that particular PSP. They cannot shop around, they cannot take advantage of multiple PSPs option in India. And most importantly, what I feel other than the business or, or saving money, it reduces or slow down the speed of innovation because every change these companies or merchants wants to make, now they depend on the PSPs to make some corresponding changes. And uh, everybody, every company, every PSP has their own roadmap and uh, priorities. And they may not be aligned with every merchant, especially if they're working with multiple merchants, they just cannot make everybody happy. And which means individual merchant, individual company will have to make compromises as well. 
are there unique challenges that uh, you know companies that are foreign to India but are operating in India have that uh, an India company might not have? Yes, yes. So Indian companies, if I'm a comp- if I have a company in India, my systems are running in India. My main system is running in India. So all my processes are designed in such a way that I'm accessing the data. Works fine because data is in India. I'm hosting everything in India. But if it's an international company, so if it's a global company operating in multiple countries, no one can scale. And uh, especially in terms of uh, scaling uh, technically and also uh, economies of scale, if every country has its own parallel system, local system running. So for global companies, it becomes a challenge because their processes are global. Uh, Their... Systems may be global or uh, they may need access of data in across the, uh, different countries. For example, the fraud team might be in one country. They might be running their fraud engine in some other in one country, but uh, they cannot uh, replicate everything in every country, like wherever the data localization requirement is, um, for example, India. And sometimes it is required to be global. Like if it's a global company, they have some other obligations to different government. For example, if you're a U.S. company, you're obligated to run AML uh, for every transaction, even if it is not happening in US, even if it is happening in India. So now to run those kind of checks, they may need some data. There are some reporting requirements to different government, depending upon where, which all countries you're op- operating. So the, and those reports sometimes may need data or may need data to even generate the report or data may go in the report. So they, it creates a lot of challenges for global companies. Hey, it's Sean, host of the show you're listening to. First and foremost, I hope you're enjoying the interview. And if you are, please support the show by subscribing and leaving a positive rating and review. And if you want to keep the conversation going, join our community at skyflow.com slash community. Okay, that's it for me. Now back to the show. You know, you mentioned these challenges in terms of, um, you know, you either end up having to run infrastructure within India that might be a parallel system to something that you're running, you know, somewhere else. Or you end up this situation where you use a, a PSP that's local to India to offload some of the responsibility of keeping the payment data there, but then you have this trade-off of potential vendor lock-in. So what is sort of your recommendation or suggestion for businesses to avoid both of these problems? I think the first thing is everybody has to acknowledge that these laws are built in the right spirit. Because if you approach the problem thinking, oh, Indian government is creating hurdles. They're, uh, I don't know why they're doing it. That just leads into building a solution, which are always, let's work around these problems. What's the minimum I have to do? So that is the, so, uh, this is, you don't want to go there. You have to kind of appreciate why the law is there, appreciate the spirit of the law. And then if you if you go with that, then you'll, you'll come up with a solution which, which will embrace it. You'll make sure you, you build the right solution. Uh, which is compliant to this this law. And uh, on technical side, I would say the services you have to build is in such a way that your main systems are not dependent where the data is stored. If you're building, uh, generally you start with one country, you build, start building, you don't think about data, data localization, you start building systems where you um, don't even think about where the data will be, assume data is available and I can just call it through my application, data will be available to me. But if you have to design for data localization and if you are if you know that you're going to go global and especially in the countries where the, these data localization requirement is then you have to design your system in such a way that your data 
storage is not dependent on your in your application logic or or the latency and everything needs to be taken care of for example again i'm not going to give an implementation the ideal implementation but one example could be have data access by apis instead of just accessing directly through db in in the application code that helps to modularize your system that helps you uh, to keep data anywhere as far as there is an api gateway knows where to go which which server to go and get data from so those kind of things those kind of design will help um, will meet these challenges and additionally um i would like to as i mentioned before vendor locking is a real problem so try to design your processes and system where you don't get yourself in that situation so instead of uh, working with a psp or company who is part of your main flow which can um, put you in a situation if the data is with them you can only use the data with them only uh, you cannot use the data with any other partner whether it's a psp or any other flow i would recommend to use some either build your own data management system which is compliant to the law as i as mentioned before or work with a company who's in data management business because those companies not only give you the tools to localize the data they will also give you the tools to tokenize the data or give flexible access control which will help you achieve uh, the compliance to those laws yeah so with that system you're basically getting some of the value that you get from using a psp by offloading a lot of the problems but giving you sort of a more flexible implementation of what of the value you're getting from a psp and what you were mentioning earlier around um you know essentially taking sort of an api first design to how you're actually accessing the data i mean that's just good sort of design you know modern design in a lot of ways is like because you're you're able to create an abstraction layer through the api so that it's not about necessarily like i don't know querying the data in the database directly but you can put essentially this layer of abstraction so that if you need to change your design your api stays the same but the underlying systems can change so thank you and i was missing out on the word abstraction when i was answering yes that's exactly what i meant and then is there any in terms of the the regulations that we're talking about is any of this related to you know fraud and security and how does it uh, potentially impact those things if there is a, a, a like a relation there i am not sure if the regulation was driven from that point of view but it definitely addresses some of those challenges um and as i said like for example npci if you want to work in upi ecosystem npci requires this data localization audit and as part of that audit they have in, as far as i know they have included some aspect of security of data so they ask third party auditors to make sure that they do a thorough security analysis um not only at security analysis in terms of where the data is stored but even the processes uh, how the data is flowing even if when the data is uh, flowing out for 24 hours whether the data is all encrypted um on addressed or data is encrypted in transit so they do all those um, they make sure that the the security is up to the mark uh, and, and uh, these auditors also make sure that uh, we the companies have processes in place for reporting in case there are incidents so it does help um, in in improving the security or making sure the systems are secure enough before they operate in india uh, or offer payments in india 
In terms of fraud, it does help again from the point of view that if data is properly managed in terms of uh, in the transit or rest, it definitely helps on the fraud as well because data is not available for these frauds or scammers to use. Okay. And then I guess in some ways, because even the regulation of like having to keep the data in India, it, it could become somewhat of a, also like a forcing function for you to perhaps seek a, you know, a vendor that actually is, um, you know, not only able to house the data there, but is also kind of like taking on some of the security and uh, privacy, you know, requirements as well. So it might be like a forcing function essentially for a business to not do something kind of in-house bespoke because they know that they need to deal at least with the data localization requirement, which makes them seek out a vendor that hopefully is, you know, essentially able to provide a, a more secure reliance system too. Exactly. If you are spending money with that vendor, you want to, everybody will make sure that their systems are secure because anytime there's a data leak, it is not about just a data leak. It's, there's a lot of reputation risk and nobody wants to be in news for the wrong reason. Yeah, exactly. And the value of, you know, getting a vendor is, you're you're paying somebody to take you know help shoulder some of that responsibility and it gives you someone to you know hope you know, potentially call up twenty four seven and yell at if they're not essentially living up to the promise of whatever their solution is. Yeah. So kind of looking ahead in terms of you know payments in India, what role do you think technological innovations play in, in shaping the future payment systems that we'll see in India? I think I touched upon that the technology which is really helping India to go through this transformation phase is mobile penetration, internet penetration, and the young generation who is open to use and try these new tools to make their life easy. So I, it, that those are the, four, the key drivers for the transformation going on in India and this hyper growth of digital payments in India. And... Uh, other innovation like uh, happening in the space where security is better with the biometrics or face IDs or the fingerprints, people feel more secure to use those tools. And then the whole ecosystem of app ecosystem on these platform where people are coming up with new ways or to make everybody's life easy. They try to offload a lot of the things which people used to do it manually in a way like let's say you are going to, you have to go pay for the utility bill, people will go stand in a line and pay the bill. Now they can just open an app and press a button, the, the bills are paid off. So those kind of uh, new flows and new utilities are helping people in their daily lives. And that is why the growth is so high. People feel it more convenient and they don't have to go, they're out of the way to do some do all these small, small things, which are which they don't enjoy, but they have to do. Is India in the process of sort of moving from like primarily like a cash-based society to more of a like a digital payment society, or, or do you think that's already happened? It is in I said it's still a in transformation phase. The number of digital transactions has gone up crazy. Cash is still there, but it is not as prevalent as I would say ten years back. I'm not sure. I'm sure you've gone to India. You might have seen pretty much every small merchant or big merchant is accepting, let's say, like UPI payments or or QR code code basement payment because it is just so easy. Stick a stick, uh, QR code sticker in front of your store, and anybody will pay through that. 
I have not come across any merchant lately who's not accepting those payments. And when I'm standing in line or I'm seeing my, my when I go to India, I observe pretty much all friends and families of mine. They're just using these digital payment methods most of the time, if not 100%. Especially if there is like small transaction, nobody wants to take their wallet out and take some like 20 rupees out. They'll just scan the code and pay through that. So that is why if you can see the number of transaction, digital transaction um, growth in India, it is hyper. It's pretty good. I'm not, I'm not, what I'm saying, it is still, there is a cash out there, but it is going down. I, I feel like in a lot of uh, parts of the world too, that where um, sort of like mobile is their, the was their first device to connect to the internet and also the main way that they interact with, with the connected world, there's like a faster adoption essentially of payment systems on mobile devices than I think a lot of times what we see in the United States where we've we've had other ways of essentially paying and there's, for whatever reason, like I don't know if it's resistance or, you know, comfort level or something like that, where there, there's like slower adoption, actually new technologies where you can pay using a mobile device in the westernized world versus some other parts of the world. Very true. And it is, it's very difficult to uh, change your habits, right? And if something is working, why not? And in case of India, I think the whole demonetization does did help in uh, adopting those um, transactions. And then once people realize that how easy it is, they continue to use it, even though uh, the cash was available uh, soon after demonetization. And as you said, it for a lot of people, it is the first device and only device uh, to the internet. And they want to keep using it and uh, not move away from this. So whatever the, but can, whatever can be done through mobile, people are, are doing that. And I, I, as I was saying before, some, I've come across many situations when I go to India and I'm roaming around with my friends and ask them, can I get some cash? And most of them, them don't have cash in their wallets anymore now because everybody's using, so used to using UPI payments or some other digital payments like cards. So they're not even carrying cash anymore. And that is becoming more and more common phenomenon. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think the world, the the kind of like connected world is divided into two camps in some fashion where you have people whose like first digital identity was an email address, which is kind of like the westernized world, people like myself. And then there's the, the next sort of era of connecting to the world, which came in places like India and other parts of Asia, where their actual identity in the digital world is a phone number. Uh, and that's, you know, I think why you see and that's because essentially uh, the mobile device was the first thing that they were connecting with there. Uh, and that's, I think, another reason why outside of payments, we see this explosion of sort of messaging apps, uh, you know, the WhatsApp, the WeChats and so forth of the world uh, being very dominant in other parts of the world outside of, uh, you know, the United States and so forth. No, and I agree. And the, the only comment I would like say is like, now there's a third category coming up as well, where their identity is not even phone. It is about some social media handle. They are interacting using those apps and they're, they're using those apps to do everything. Yeah. And they, there's the super apps too uh, yeah. as well. Yeah. So are there any like recent or upcoming regulatory changes that businesses should be aware of when it comes to the Indian payment landscape? I, as I said, I'm not an expert on all the payment uh, regulations coming out of India, but in, in, in data localization, there are certain circulars, but Things have been stabilized a lot. There is not not many new requirements are coming up. There are some new circulars do come once in a while, but they're mostly around 
uh, adding more clarity or maybe enhancing some um, capabilities um, but no major changes at least in uh, in terms of data localization and as we start to wrap up is there anything else you'd like to share i think i just want to remind the things which probably have said twice or maybe more that don't think that this is this law is a is created to create hurdles it is done within the right spirit to protect their citizens and also maybe i forgot to mention before it is also to protect the country against a lot of um, geopolitical situations for example embargoes um let me give an example of situation when us put an embargo on russia all the us companies stopped doing business in india uh, in russia suddenly visas and mastercards or other payment uh, instruments stopped working in russia and those instruments were very popular so for many days or many i would say weeks nobody could transact because they didn't have any other instrument they have to figure out how to get cash and and use cash so all the countries when they are de- defining such laws they are looking at those situation and making sure that if that ever happens to them for whatever the reason they are protected against it they want to make sure the continue the economy doesn't collapse economy continues to to support the citizens and there's a business continuity so we have to appreciate this all these things and understand the spirit of the law and design a system around it instead of thinking that this is created to put hurdles for international or the foreign companies well i think that's a great sort of positive note to end things on sanjeev i want to thank you so much for being here i uh, really enjoyed our conversation we'll have to have you back of course down the down the uh, in the future and i think it was um I, you know, I learned a ton about uh, the data localization, payment regulations. I think it was something that I didn't have a tremendous amount of knowledge about. So uh, I really appreciate you sharing your expertise. Thank you. And uh, happy to share my opinion. And I want to end with a note. This is, these are my opinions. I'm, I'm not representing any legal firm here to say these, these are the requirements from the government of India. But thank you for uh, having me here and... share my experience and share my knowledge with you guys all right thank you and cheers bye